0: I'm Ben Grimm and you're listening to the Better Employer podcast from Hub International. On today's very special and very timely episode, we have three guests, Tracy Thane, founder of My Way Health and from Datum Shore, Cameron White, co-founder and Bruce MacArthur, chief technical officer. They've partnered together to create SafePass and they have one simple mission, help the economy reopen in a responsible, health conscious way by harnessing existing technology while at the same time respecting user data privacy on their website, it states that SafePass is an early warning system that helps you get ahead of COVID-19 by discreetly using health insights and non-intrusive contact tracing. In our first segment, we discussed the challenges facing organizations of all types as they try to reopen their doors and keep their people healthy and protected. In particular, we discussed the obstacles facing schools and how SafePass can mitigate the need for large-scale quarantines and safely restore face-to-face learning. You can subscribe to the Better Employer Podcast for more in-depth conversations about how to be a better employer in a quickly changing world. All right, today we're here with Cameron, Bruce, and Tracy with SafePass. But uh, I want to thank you guys, first off, for joining us. Excited to have you on the podcast here and, and uh, get to learn a little bit more about who you guys are and what you're doing and the impact that you're having on this crazy, turbulent world that we're, uh, that we're living in right now. So thank you for joining. Yeah, thanks well, for having me. Well, we're glad to be here. Well, in, in order to get started, I usually read a, a, an intro or do a little bit of a bio, but this is the first time we've had three guests, which we're excited about on the podcast and so, instead of me doing the talking, I'd love to kick it to you guys, maybe start with you, Tracy. Give us a little bit uh of a background about you and about safe pass and then uh let's let's go to uh to Bruce and then Cameron after that yeah, awesome.
1: so my name is Tracy Thane. I'm the founder of My way Health, and uh my background you know i'm I've been in the world for fifty five years and just really struggling with the way. Our healthcare system runs, and so a while back I started a company that would help us put healthcare back into the control of um, the individual. And uh, in my in my efforts and in my ventures, I I met up with Cameron and Bruce, um, and uh, we started talking a lot about you know the the situation that we have with COVID nineteen, and we came up with. Um, this project that that really our technologies are are very well suited to support um, a proactive approach to dealing with the with the pandemic.
0: Very cool, Bruce.
2: My name is Bruce MacArthur. Um, I'm about Tracy's generation and I've spent the majority <laughs> of my career as either a software developer or a data architect for a large uh, insurance company in the Utah region. And like Tracy, as he outlined kind of his motivations for doing what he's doing, seeing the problems that that are solvable but aren't currently being addressed, a big one for me was how how data was being used to to accomplish workflows and was being used for uh, in-house and things like that, how we were sharing data with our partners, the things that we could have done better, the things that would enable greater capabilities. And that's what led me down this road with DatumSure and what we're doing now with Tracy's company and SafePass.
0: Very cool. Thank you,
3: Bruce. And I'm Cameron White. Uh, so I am one of the original uh, co-founders of a company called DatumSure, which Bruce mentioned. DatumSure is a an agnostic data platform. Uh, we are essentially a plumbing system or a circuit board for disparate data sources. And so using our technology, we can, we can share knowledge uh, about data without sharing risk. And so in, in an environment like COVID, where currently there is plenty of data available, it's the unconnected version of that data, which makes tracking and managing our way out of the pandemic difficult.
0: Very cool. Thank you. You uh, all of you brought up COVID and obviously that's a that's a hot topic right now and and uh sometimes feels like the 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 tell is wagging the dog but nobody knows where the tell and nobody knows where the dog is and we're all just kind of we joked around a little bit earlier about building the plane while we fly it and it feels like a little bit of that is going on right now and it's it's really interesting to learn a little bit about your technology and the ideas and strategy that you all have to kind of help solve for that problem a little bit. As a father of four children, I've got I've got children as in in uh, the in twelfth grade, tenth grade, seventh grade, and fourth grade. So I've got all the schools covered: high school, middle school, elementary school, and it is stressful just waiting for that phone call to come in to you know to to let us know that our kid has been quarantined because somebody you know that that had been tested positive for covid-19 uh, a couple a couple of weeks ago. And so if we can start talking about challenges that are facing schools but also as a, as an employee of a you know of one of the five largest brokers in the world also kind of dovetailing that into organizations re- regarding testing students and employees for covid-19 and then just the the myriad of challenges that come along with that. So I know that's a really broad question, but uh, Cameron, maybe maybe start with you on that. Okay.
3: So I like you. I, I have four kids. Uh, I have a junior, a sophomore, a seventh grader, and a third grader. So we line up almost the same. Yeah. <laughs> um, but my kids, I have two kids at two different high schools. I have a kid in middle school and a kid in elementary. So I actually have optics into four different schools and how they are managing uh, this pandemic. In Utah, uh, at the onset of school, um, the Department of Health with the Board of Education put out a document that was kind of a guideline document to help these schools manage and work around COVID. When I was approaching the the school year and I'm talking with my wife, uh, I felt like we had to choose as parents between the mental health of my children and the physical health of my children. Exactly, but I couldn't choose both.
0: Yep. I just had
3: to choose one, and I I was like, "This is crazy." And so as I as we dove deeper and met with individual schools, we learned very quickly, and we we talked with the head of the Utah Board of Education. We found out that each school, even though they have general guidelines, how they manage those. Uh, differs from school to school to school, so there's no continuity in that process, and so it is it is uh, it is a bit daunting. Uh, I, I have those same concerns that that you had, and so creating safe paths uh, allows for. Uh, jump in with me, Tracy.
1: Yeah, definitely. So uh, let me yeah let me pick up from there because you know at the end of the day when we look at what's going on in our society um we recognize how important it is that we we kind of get back to uh i guess you could call it a new normal but you know we are looking at our economy right now as you know uh being super important the the challenge that we have is that everything is against the economy if kids don't stay in school parents have to be at home managing those kids um, and even if they're at home with the kids, their productivity is probably being impacted. And so, when we think about um, the safety, and you know, to Cameron's point, you know, we have the situation where we have to choose between mental health and physical health, and and that's that's not it shouldn't be the choice. The choice should be how do we proactively approach this so that we can keep our kids in school, keep the economy moving uh but do it all as safely as possible
2: <clears throat> so one of the things that we've noticed so Cameron mentioned this uh 102 pages of guidance that we got from the state or that the that all of the LEAs or schools were getting from the state and that's a living document that has grown but it has the force my understanding is it has the force of law and uh we use that as a template to operate within because what it describes is a lot of tasks and workflows in order to not only for interdiction, but also as part of the workflow. Now that you've found somebody who's tested positive, what do you do? You've communicated this to the local departments of health who communicate upstream to the department of health. And you also have to do contact tracing. And this is, this is going to be a trusted individual at the school. So the school nurse or a director of a charter school or an administrator. The problem is this takes time and time is what's working against us. So when we talk about waiting for that call from school, as of right now, it's not if, but when it's, it's, it's breaking on our shores. Now where I live now at my kid's school, it's shut down because they've been exposed. My wife is a nurse. We wash our hands religiously. We wear masks, but we have no way of knowing if we've made a mistake that will allow the virus through. Uh, more and more as time goes by, everyone is is taking precautions and using PPE or their version of it and is not giving us any more visibility into the problem. And visibility is what allows us to do something about it. And that's why what Tracy proposed on top of our platform is exciting for us because we can build a longitudinal record of how many days Ben went without symptoms and without answering that he might have a high-risk behavior or have done something high-risk, we now know that that Ben is pretty safe. And if we've got that that family structure from the school, now we have an even bigger cohort that we can build and tie together so that if any one of those has a risky behavior or test positive, we immediately can identify and quarantine the cohort or cluster that they correspond to. That includes classmates that are sitting right around you in the the electronic seating chart. But the reason that we chose the schools is because we have a predefined universe where we can get absolute ubiquity in the school. And if we can show, hey, we've just caught one kid, Ben, we caught one of your kids in fourth grade and uh, he or she tested positive or a classmate tested positive positive automatically your senior is sent home and their POC is notified. So this process, instead of waiting a couple of days to say, you know what, we need to send you home, you're, you're notified in real time. And so it stops that spread. Time is of the essence here. And so the next step is to liberate this. Once we've shown that we can address that issue of fear, that this does make a difference, the natural next step is to move this into the businesses. Most affected by COVID.
1: Now, uh, I'd like to add just one little bit here uh, because I think it's really important to recognize the fact that, you know, we are a privacy first organization. You know, we all believe that, you know, there is some sensitivity to contact tracing and all these other things. And so what we wanted to do is to create an environment where the information that's being collected on an individual is secure and it's discrete um and what that means is is that if we know someone has come into contact or potentially come into contact we're not disclosing any information that is private to that individual so we're not outing anyone if that makes sense
0: yeah so i had a i actually had a question about that last night when my my wife and i were <clears throat> were talking about the the process and and Bruce it was interesting to hear you talk about time is of the essence somebody that is not one of my children a, a gym that I exercise at uh, is I was talking to a senior in high school last night and he was explaining to me I joked around with him he's a he, he works at this place and I said long time no see where have you been and he said I've actually been on uh, quarantine I got put on quarantine by my school so we we talked about that for a minute and he says you know what the weirdest thing was is they they told me I can't remember if they told him, I don't think they told him the person, but I think they told him the class. Maybe they told him the person, but it was, he hadn't had that class in two weeks from the time that he'd been quarantined or when he was quarantined, it had been two weeks since Mm -hmm. he had had the class with that, with that individual. And so he said, well, if I have it, I have spread it for the past two weeks now before going on quarantine. And if I did get it from that person, I think it has now left my system and has traveled to everybody else. So Very, very cool to hear you talk about the the, kind of the time value of of what you all are doing. And Tracy, what you just said was was a question that I brought up to my wife last night. How are they able to do what they're doing, discussing these things and still be and and not violating HIPAA?
1: Yeah, you know, um, and I I think this is where um, we saw so much synergy in the technologies that we both have. Um, So with with, uh, MyWay Health, we have... Um, all of this information sitting in an EMR, an electronic medical records system, and so with this EMR, you know, as we um, are receiving information about an individual and their personal health information, their PHI, it is stored um, securely and safely and privately within our system. Um, we're able to use other data that sure is enabling us to see and to have access to. And I'll let Bruce talk about that in a second. But what it does is it allows us then to get our arms around all of those who pretend, potentially were impacted. And then with this, because we're in an EMR, uh, an encrypted environment, we can um, identify those individuals that need notified and we're able to communicate with them discreetly and let them know uh, that there was a potential or possible exposure and that they need to take certain precautions. Now, the what's really great about this is that the communications that are built in are subject to the business rules that are, um, the business rules that are associated with the state and local uh, requirements, right? And so what that means is, is in today's system, um, there are no controls because you have you know, a school, uh, an assigned school employee who's supposed to receive information and then they're supposed to communicate it in one direction. There is no system in place to support the measures that the state or that state agencies have put in place. And so SafePass actually um, enables that with both by providing security and privacy around the information and then also with the overlay information and data that DatumSure provides to give us this um, ability to be discreet and private.
2: To make, to give us more visibility, to give more power to, to keep people safe and to make good decisions and open the economy wide open while at the same time, hopefully halting the spread. We do this by having access to that PII. Any PII captured or created in this application is encrypted with the subject entity's cryptographic key as part of the system and stored at rest encrypted. So what that means is instead of having one password for a database, all databases do have admin credentials. Now your individual data is secured and encrypted by you. And because our data platform is built on a blockchain, you can audit what that data was used for, how it was used and by whom. And then on top of that, we don't need to share data to provide insights or to, or to, to accomplish these goals. We can share knowledge. So instead of saying, um, instead of passing across somebody's immunization records to prove that they've been immunized and can go to school, we just confirm that that took place. And so for um, a lot of these sensitive queries, they are done inside the black box of the blockchain and we only pass along knowledge. So that's how you can notify someone they were exposed without saying whom exposed them or who.
0: Very interesting. So here's a, here's a question that might, might take us down a rabbit hole. Hopefully not. I mean, there just are, there are so many moving parts that nobody ever really feels like they know, they know what's going on. And so a a question that I have for you and, and, and just the value that I'm, that I'm seeing. And I think I, I know the answer, but let's see, using my own children again, my, my senior plays on our high school uh, soccer team. And one of their starting forwards received a phone call that she had been sitting next to somebody that was quarantined or that, that, that tested positive for, for COVID-19. And therefore she was quarantined for the next two weeks. And her parents said, well, can we go get a test to prove that she doesn't have it? And they said, no, she's quarantined for two weeks. They went and got the test anyways and found out that she had the antibodies. So she obviously had had it at some point. She has the antibodies. And they asked if she could now go back. They said no. So the the test really didn't do a whole lot for her. She still missed two weeks of school. She missed two weeks of soccer because somebody sitting next to her had... Covid nineteen. So my question is, does your system have the capability of remembering that, and will it? Could it potentially shorten the quarantine uh, timeframe? Because one of the things we haven't talked about yet, and we and we will get to, is you're you're doing this daily monitoring where parents or people are putting in their kind of their vitals, their statistics of of their health. So it has the ability to know how you're progressing. If you're not showing any symptoms after three or four days. I see your software potentially being able to reduce the time frame that they're in quarantine, and then furthermore, will will it remember that this person has already had it, or they've had, um, you know, they've had a test done, and we know that they have the antibodies, therefore they're not going to be quarantined. That's a really long-winded. Uh, I, I set up the story a little bit and then asked the question. It took a minute to get to the question, but but does that make sense? And is your software able to do that?
3: I'm happy to take that for a little bit, Ben. Uh, I think uh, actually you asked the question beautifully because in real time, we're seeing the actual pain of this. Uh, I had the opportunity a week ago to go to a board meeting with um, Canyon School District here in in the Salt Lake Valley. Uh, And in that board meeting, I mean, it was uh, a hot meeting, meaning the media was there, angry parents there with posters. uh, And we learned through that process that, as far as the workflows go within the school system, every single child uh, or student or faculty who is tested positive or is presumed tested positive, it takes the school administrators four to five hours per student wow. to identify and build that cohort and do the contact tracing. And then it's one way. That one way actually is very problematic. So now this is two week old information, but using that same school district they had eight students who had tested positive for COVID. And because of those eight students tested positive, they had 450 students home on quarantine. To that point, I mean, that's very, uh, that's an out-of-whack ratio,
0: but... Well, and that circles back to your very first point you made too about physical and emotional. shouldn't You shouldn't have to choose one or the other.
3: Right. So with that, there, there's no way to, to your point, to go back the other way with that. So if if those eight kids are separated or sent home or quarantined and they get tested and all the 450 kids are sent home and tested. And let's say 90% of them are tested negative. Well, currently on the workflow, I mean, our administrators and teachers are at a tipping point. They're breaking under the stress of this. Anyway, they don't have enough time or hours in the day to reverse that. To reverse that. Right. So what our system would allow that, is we have proactive contact tracing, and then we can reverse that. Meaning, okay, you 450 kids, you're now on quarantine. Go home. Here's your assignment. Here's what you need to do, which is actually, for me, as a parent, incredibly helpful. Absolutely. Um, Two examples to that point. I don't mean to talk so much. Uh, My daughter also plays uh, soccer at her high school, and there was a girl on the JV team that tested positive, and the school, I watched them fumble a little bit what to do, how to do it. Uh, they ended up quarantining just the JV kids and not the uh, varsity kids, even though they all practice and play together. But there was a <laughs> one and the was strong, right, uh, which was which was fine. Uh, another example, my, my middle school girl uh, came home from school one day, and she's like, Daddy, you know that kid, uh, we'll call him D., I my buddy D uh there's a kid on his football team that tested positive for covid and I said well was D at school today yeah I said by I'm in history and math well is D at risk do I need to quarantine you where do we go how do we do it mm. she's like I don't know daddy you tell me <laughs> right and so that that clumsiness there uh cre- creates some problems so I if I as a parent could pull up an app, a Safe Pass app, and it says, okay, uh, third child, Stella, you actually came in contact with D, who is at risk. So, because of that, Stella, you need to go get tested. And then I take her and she gets tested, and it comes back negative. It could report to the system and let everyone know that Stella is clear and she could go back to school.
2: As well as everybody who was contact traced off her would be automatically notified. Instead of waiting, for the physical process which we have right now where the poc amongst all the other hundreds of phone calls that person is making that day they're also getting people back to school and ending that disruption whereas what tracy's managed to put together is take this longitudinal record that we are protecting and automate these workflows
0: tracy do you want to jump in on that yeah definitely
1: um i think this is the magic behind it all right because when, um, when you consider this, uh, this idea of uh, closure versus a prescribed uh, quarantine and then the retraction of the quarantine, it makes so much difference. We had an opportunity to meet with the Utah Department of Health and have a conversation about how they are being more proactive in supporting schools with uh, face-to-face learning. Mm -hmm. And when they heard the word proactive, they kind of of put them all at pause. Like, what do you mean proactive? Um, We barely have the bandwidth to inform people or to to open a case mm-hmm. on COVID and uh, and to do an investigation around the contacts that this person may have uh, been around, and so the idea of being proactive and being able to then um, support people in a you know who may be showing symptoms doesn't even hit their radar because uh, quite frankly there are no tools available for them to um, support that breadth of of work with the automation that we have built, um, we're able to program in the the the. Uh, so so think about it this way: um, you have all of these physical processes in place to mitigate your risk around COVID. Um, but today there are no digital processes to measure the effectiveness of those physical efforts and so what we're able to do is when we identify there has been a physical um, instance occur we're able to then say you know use data to then capture and quickly react or quickly respond i should say to that level of threat and provide appropriate level of, of measures so instead of an entire school closing or an entire 450 students going home for two weeks we're able to you know automate that process of identifying and then prescribing a response and then even retracting a response in the case that um that there was not an exposure so the automation is absolutely magic to what we're doing here
2: one other thing that we need to mention is Datum DatumSure's job behind the scenes is, I mean, we don't want to delve too deeply in, in what we're doing in this, just in this state, because it might be different in every other state, but we're pursuing a deeper partnership with the state organs and to that end, getting connected to the lab test data. So the lab test data in our state and in every other state, they, they re- that data is reported to them, and then they use that in their workflow. And sometimes there's a delay, but nobody notices because this process is so manual, that's still way ahead of time. And in our system now, there'll be a lot of pressure to speed up kind of that consumption of that lab test data. Because as soon as we have access to it and connect it to Danny or Timmy, we can either say, hey, all 450 are clear to go back to school right this second before even Danny finds out he's clear. Or uh, 20 of you are stuck, you're two weeks off. But at least we know that, and it's precise. And so it is a constant process. The beautiful thing about SafePass and why I'm excited about it for my life and our community, is in this context, is it constantly keeps the healthy in the schools and keep constantly grooming it so that we're we're pulling the sick ones home, and only the ones that we need to pull home.
0: Well, and we can get into this in a little bit here as well. And I appreciate you bringing that up, Bruce. But who has access to the app? Parents, teachers, students, anybody and everybody?
1: The, the SafePass app is set up in such a way that uh, parents, you know, so I, I guess what we want to do is talk about the process, right? Because the idea behind SafePass is if we all be very programma- programmatic at um, entering our symptoms data on a daily basis, that is how we're going to enable this early warning system. And so, what we have is we have an app that parents can use to do a daily screening of their student, and before that student goes to school, um, and then that way we have the information uh, to support um, this um, insights gathering. Um, but if a student goes to school and is has not uh, had gone through has not gone through the screening. Um, a teacher is um, able to use that app to verify whether or not it's happened and if it hasn't happened can do a screening on the fly. Now all that data is like it is the data is um, kind of like Bruce had mentioned it's PII so it goes into this protected area even if it's a teacher that is uh, doing the screening.
0: Hey, this is Ben again. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation in our first segment. The topic of reopening schools amidst a pandemic is obviously a sticky one. And as a father of four, I hate having to choose between the mental and the physical health of my children. So I'm personally very excited to learn about innovations in the tech sector that will hopefully provide businesses and schools with a much better solution. If you have any questions about SafePass or if there's a topic in mind you'd like to see us discuss on a future episode, please click the message link on our anchor.fm page and drop us a line. You can find our page at anchor.fm hub international. Again, that's anchor.fm hub dash international. In our next segment, we discuss the user experience of SafePass and how it works in real world situations. I hope you can stick around. All right, welcome back. Again, we're here with uh, Bruce Cameron and Tracy with Safe Pass and uh, excited to have you guys back and, and jump in to a, a little bit further in the, into the details of how it all works. We talked about the issues and challenges that schools face, that that organizations face in getting students, employees back, uh, all of the, the many hands that have to be involved where there's just a lot of potential for human error and there is a lot of human error that is rolling down. And believe that there's a that there's a, a huge need there. I'm excited to hear a little bit more in detail about how your your technology actually works, and we'll spend we'll spend a little bit of time on that, and then and then talking about the implementation. So how the software works, and then what it takes to implement it into an organization and into a school. So uh, Tracy, let's let's start with you. Give me. We we got into it a little bit on the last segment, and I and I cut you off when you started talking about parents kind of going through uh, a checklist, so to speak, in the mornings with their students before sending them off. But maybe let's jump back in there and talk about how that technology works, how they get it, how they use it, who all sees it, and and we'll start from there.
1: Yeah, let's let's do that. that sounds great. So um, the SafePass app. It works within, you know, any mobile device and even on a desktop, uh, you quickly go in and you log a symptom screening. It asks the questions about symptoms. Uh, You can even hit a quick button that says nothing has changed since the last time. And I haven't been exposed to anyone with symptoms, and uh, you just log it. What that does on the back end is it um, it opens that health record of that individual or that student. Um, it uh, creates a vitals report, and it just updates it really quickly. And then the parent can go to the next one and just go through that same quick screening. Um, if uh, during the screening process, uh, the, the parent identifies that the child does have symptoms, then there will be immediately a response letting them know what what actions need to be taken. Um, From a a school perspective, when a child walks into the classroom and say, through the attendance process, when you're taking attendance, um, the teacher has the ability to um, scan a QR code associated with that student's ID. And the idea behind it is we're thinking that a student could be wearing um, could be wearing a lanyard with their picture and a QR code. But by by scanning that QR code immediately, the teacher is able to see whether or not that student has already uh, been verified or not verified for the day. If the student has not been verified, they can quickly run through a screening on the fly. If the if the student has a symptom, then a manual process is enabled, right, along with the digital. But the manual process is that the the, the child is then sent maybe to the health room to meet with the nurse or whatever. Um, but it is then logged in the system that this child has uh, has a symptom. Um, through that process, though, all we're doing is capturing information so that we can proactively respond with the appropriate measure, not, you know, create all this fear and, and craziness. It's just that we wanna be able to provide um, that immediately that immediate feedback. Um, I think Bruce may have a little bit more to add. Um, thank you, Tracy.
2: Yes, so one of the things, uh, I don't think it's too much to ask that in a lot of the schools that we've spoken with, there there are pieces of collateral that we could repurpose for identity. And one of those, if, there are some there are some schools where their the budgets are tight and um, they're not able to do maybe a, a higher tech sol- solution, which is that barcode and on a lanyard, let alone a device. Even lower tech than that, we could have them use their SSID, which corresponds to their lunch account. So even the children, if that's all they you know, if that's all they can do, is identify off of their lunch account, we can still pin that to the ID. And I think that only works in schools, Tracy.
1: Yeah. And that only works in schools. You're right. You know, I think uh, another really important point to make here is that, you know, for the purpose of being able to quickly identify the population that may have come into um, some sort of an exposure to symptoms, we do a very non-invasive contact tracing. And so um, how we, how we enable that though, is instead of, you know, using the GPS on, you know, devices and tracking your ever move and those kinds of things. Instead, what we do is we uh, are able to, um, at the point where the QR code is scanned or at the point where uh, information is taken on someone, we're able to log um, that location. And then uh, at the same time, you think about a, a child in school, right? Um, they have a very specific schedule throughout the day. Um, they have assigned seating, they go to their class, they sit in their seat. Um, we're able, and and this is another area that it's, this is enabled through uh, the support of I'm sure, but we're able to then kind of map where a student is during the day, where they sat, so that we're able to um, prescribe a, a response, rather than just an entire school closing. So we're creating a matrix of data where we're able to see the symptoms and the overlay of where that student was during that day.
2: So specifically, how we accomplish that is in each school they'll have a they'll have a SSIS and an LMS. So those both of those together are everything about the student and the student's schedule. We just need the aspect of that to say, here's mom, here's dad, here's siblings, and the schools that they're in, as well as faculty and staff, because they're all kind of part of that community spread matrix. And then additionally, we would have uh, enrollment. So here's the classes that the students are going to be in, they're expected to be from eight o'clock to nine o'clock, from nine ten to 10 o'clock and on, we need to know if they were there that day or if they were tardy or if the teacher was there or had a substitute so that we don't accidentally quarantine over quarantine or under quarantine. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Very interesting. So how that's from a, from a student in a school perspective, the, the, the parent is is going through the assessment through the checklist. If the parent fails or or refuses to do it, uh, somebody, somebody at the school can do it. And so I want to, I want to transition that into organizations, but first by law, does there have to be an opt out option from what you're seeing? Are you, are you seeing this viewed as a, you must do this if your kid comes back to school or kind of expand on that a little bit for me, if you guys can,
1: you know, mandates are interesting because I think within every school, um, they have different level of understanding of a parent's um, willingness to support um, protocol. And and so in some schools, you might find that they have a little more control over the mandates than maybe other schools. And then when you think about uh, physical protocol versus digital protocol, um, you know, physical protocol, they'll absolutely have control over. But when it comes to data and privacy, that's where you kind of get into a place, kind of a red zone, right? Where when it comes to taking data about your kids or having data about where they're, they're you know, where they are and what they're doing, all of a sudden that kind of ignites a whole new level of discussion within the parent community. And so I think that schools are being very careful and cautious about how they approach um, families and they base it off of their knowledge and understanding of families. And so part of what we're able to do to support them is um, we're able to provide them with a a tool where we we can do a COVID-19 risk assessment, which helps us understand the behavior and attitudes of families and and really just help them know how best to communicate to those families and whether or not certain things can or cannot be mandated.
2: I think ultimately, it's opt-in. I mean, everyone's going to be different. However, the 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 opt-in aspect of this is tied to motivations on to people on either side of the issue. If you want to be safer than you currently are, use a system because it's an extra precaution that provides sure. visibility for the first time. Additionally, now any data involved in this is safer than it is in the manual system, meaning now there's The POCs right now have a list of students who are infected and that need to be notified to the state and then the students themselves and anyone they've come in contact with. Want to bet that's a really bad opportunity for gossip or for even bullying or for, you know, kind of just not the optimal social behavior, much less a PII risk of having a physical copy of that data. And then the parents on the other side who just want unfettered access to the economy, because they're concerned about it from that point. If you wanna do that, then then do this least obtrusive of all the things that you're doing. Do this self-check at home for your students and yourself, and then you can reuse it throughout the day. You don't have to go someplace and get scanned and get a sticker, and then go to your dentist and get scanned and get a sticker. This is more convenient, more effective, and uh, more efficient for all involved. So it's aligned with everyone's best interests or their, their particular motivations.
3: Uh, when, right before school started, we were meeting with some of the charter schools in the state and we were talking about, you know, the use of PPE, they were giving us tours of their schools and of their classrooms and how they're going to manage this process uh, and even uh, checking temperatures at the time or wearing masks, there, at our first meetings, they're like, there's no way that we can require the kids to wear masks. That's, that's, but that'll never fly. We're never going to do that. And then as we got a, a week out, they're like, well, it might be helpful. And <laughs> they're like, if you don't wear a mask, you're never allowed on campus, right? And so I, I think with this system, right now, let's say the buy off on this is at 20%. You mentioned that, that there's 100% more visibility on that 20% if they're using it. But I think as, a case is caught. If, if I'm on the fence of whether to use Safe Pass or not, I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this. And all of a sudden I find out that the school is safer where they caught someone and they quarantined and it allowed the soccer season to continue or it allowed a football season or whatever. Then I think your organic buy in will just grow exponentially over time. Uh, to to make buy-off percentages that much greater.
2: I agree, and it's in a nutshell. This Once people see that particular metric, which is something you've never seen before, where you've prevented it, where you've prevented someone from going to school and spreading it before they even get to the bus stop, before they're having an off-site private homecoming party, now you've you've caught it before it spread, and when you have any of those metrics, it's going to start to give people confidence and evaporate fear. And to Cameron's and Tracy's points, I think that more people will opt in.
0: Yeah, and it seems it seems like to me that that schools and organizations should be highly interested in something like this because you know I've I've had as as I have conversations with with employers, neighbors, friends, family. About, you know, we, we talked a little bit in the, in the previous segment about the tail wagging the dog, but, but nobody knows where the tail or the, or the dog is. <clears throat> it feels like so many decisions being made right now are to avoid lawsuits. And so everybody is just <laughs> trying to, you know, protect themselves really financially. They're trying to protect organizations, schools. Everyone's trying to protect. Yes, we're, we're, we're looking out for the, you know, for, for their health, for their well-being. We're trying to also protect people from that. But just these weird rules that you have going into places and, you know, you got to wear a mask. You got to be six feet apart. So they put shields in. They put masks on. They're six feet apart. Somebody gets COVID. They still get thrown into quarantine, even though they're six feet apart. They still have, you know, shields on. And so but it's but it's this liability. It feels like this would help an organization. It would help a school say, listen, this is one additional step that we are putting in place to safeguard our employees, to safeguard our students and to to keep everybody safe, so seems like they'd be you know they should be highly interested let's let's transition that into we we spent really the majority of the first segment. it can be applicable to both school and an organization, but let's talk more about an organization how How does it work for an organization for employees rolling this out to to the org? Cameron, do you want to take well,
3: it? Yeah, I would love to right. I, I can talk about this a little bit because this is something that. Again, COVID has uh, turned loose the wild, wild west, and I think everyone's doing their best to try and navigate through this. But it is, uh, it is varied, for sure. Uh, I, I had the opportunity, I, I went to a restaurant the other day, and normally the capacity in the restaurant, let's say, is 250 people. Because of spacing, because of these measures, uh, I mean, the, the, the people allowed into this facility – was greatly reduced. Uh, there were people sitting out on the patio, which is great as long as it's not snowing or raining, which in our climate is a challenge, and right? And coming soon. Right, I mean, that, that's yeah. that's a very rea- big reality for these business owners. Uh, my family, we own a bowling alley in downtown Salt Lake uh, and trying to open Bondwood Bowl safely is, is a bit of a challenge, right? Creating a way that, you know, Starting in the school system, where parents are getting accustomed to using this with their children, gets a large percentage of the population uh, familiar with the product. or are familiar with this system or this process. And again,
2: once they've seen this work in the schools and know what it can do, and it's in, you know can embolden people to go back out into the economy and show what's possible. Now, you, when you have a, a hair salon or a restaurant, especially as we go into colder weather, where that patio seating will no longer be available. And watch watch people invest in those propane uh, patio heaters to try and extend that season as long as they can. Restaurants already have famously thin margins. We need to get them back to density. And I think, I've gone to restaurants, my, my wife's a medical professional, I believe coronavirus can kill me, but I have to function in this world and so I take the precautions. I haven't gotten it yet that I'm aware of. But if I was going to go to a restaurant or a football game or a movie or a concert, I don't mind flashing my QR code, having them ask me for my pin that confirms my identity without revealing any PII or even my name. And then once it's confirmed, they can see the status. Bruce is cleared to enter or Bruce needs to return home. Step away from the vector. (laughs) But either way, wouldn't you go to a concert? Wouldn't you go to a movie theater if this was tied in to lab test data and I had a longitudinal record and your connection to me like on LinkedIn or in any social media, you're three degrees away from me. So uh, Bruce is infected, but I have not been exposed directly to him. So we're gonna watch that. He's gotten tested, he's clear, we're all good. So now it's more of a proactive approach with visibility. And in businesses, as, as Tracy kind of laid it out, we'd he'd set it up such that a business would register or onboard similarly to a school, but unlike a school, uh, we're not trying to, to uh, we don't need to know the structure of all the customers because it's kind of fluid. We would need to know the staff. And so we would in, we would have some sort of mechanism for connecting to that data so that when there's turnover, we're not quarantining somebody who no longer works there or... It, it, or somebody who does work there didn't slip through the cracks. If that makes sense, we have we have a current
0: roster. So how long does it take for somebody to get signed up? Is there any possibility nowadays? And this is one of the things I'm, I'm writing down here is I just hear, hear you, each of you talk and tell these different stories and different examples about the way the technology can be used. It's, it's beautiful how innovative our, our society can be in times of crisis, the different things that we can come up with and, you know, it's a small example, but, but most restaurants now, they don't even hand out uh, menus. You just, you have to scan the QR code when you walk in and the menu pops up on your phone. What is the time? What, how long does it take for somebody to sign up? Is there any way that we could get to that point? Can it be done that quickly where a restaurant can say, hey, before we seat you, we want to we scan your code. I don't have a code. What are you talking about? Here, if you do this, we'll get you signed up and, and then you can start be, becoming okay. a member.
1: You know, I think that uh, so if we back up one little step, right? Because all of this is for naught if we are not disciplined, right? Because you could get someone that onboards themselves with SafePass very, very quickly, um, and then you can have someone uh, log a symptom scan and do it um, with not with their only interest as being, I want to get into this venue. Sure. Right. And so they could potentially have the symptoms and and say that they don't and get in. So um, what we've done to support um, the businesses so that they can be a little more um, specific about who gets to come in in order to elevate that level of quality, um, they can build their own rules, right? So in other words, what that means is, is if I'm a restaurant and I want only to let uh, folks enter my facility who have shown two months of daily scanning, well, that's a possibility. We can put that rule into the system. And so if you haven't been proving your health over a period of time, then potentially they can restrict you from entering. Um, But in terms to, to answer your question, I mean, onboarding is super fast. You download the app, You put in your information and your account is set up and ready to go. But when it comes to actually delivering the value that we're trying to put in place, it's about discipline and it's about, you know, uh, being able to um, get compliance to some rules that you've established in order to create that protected environment. Once we have the data in our system
2: and DatumSure will work closely with Hub to facilitate wow. Hub in Hub's mission to bolster their client companies, We would, any company that wanted to onboard would be doing it through wow. Hub. We would then connect to that data from Hub with that participating company's permission. But like Tracy's saying, we can't just start in, without any visibility or without a frame of reference Meaning, like, how do we know if people are healthy or not? We've got to have a frame of reference, and I think also the schools kind of help us get started in that approach, and the school and relationship with the local departments of health further augment that approach.
0: As far as uh, the, the the pure just use of it at an organizational level, employees go through the same steps and processes that a parent would would do with their with their students, correct?
1: Yeah, in fact, it's one of those, you know, the um, idea around it is that we are going to protect the population around this environment. So if you are an employee or someone who visits that, that venue or that business quite regularly, you know, everyone is is um, requested to utilize the, the tool so that they can log and register um, their safe practices. And so employees would do it. Uh, Visitors to the facility do it. Customers would do it. And then that way, we're able to really get a good feel for the community or the population that uh, that is in that particular organization.
3: So the thing about this that I think is relevant to hit on at this point, um, I I went and I I had to get a haircut. And when I walked in to get a haircut, they, they met me at the door. They asked me some questions and they took my temperature. And then it was a they let me in. But that. Testing was a one stop. So, in theory, it wasn't it, recorded. It wasn't recorded. There was no record of it anywhere. So, if I went to another place, I'd have to do it again. In our system under Safe Pass, if I'm getting my kids ready for the day and I'm going through their system screening, I'm also going through mine. And if I do that once a day in the morning, the rest of the day, I went to any business where Safe Pass is required. I could show up, I could scan my QR code and get entrance protecting my own PII into any of those places. So it's something like you wake up, you brush your teeth, you do your symptom scan, you go about your day. You don't have to do this at every stop. You don't have to do this at every restaurant. You don't have to retest. Right. You this do it one daily. time. daily.
0: Perfect. Thank you. Well, we are, we're running up against the, uh, against the clock here, kind of running out of time. And I, I appreciate you guys jumping, jumping in and, and uh, having this conversation and joining our podcast. And we, You know, we'd love to have you guys back on again and and provide any insight and just hear how how things are going. But before we leave here, a couple key takeaways for me is is something I think you said, Bruce, that it benefits both sides of the line as we're talking about schools and work for that matter. No matter what side of that divisive line that, that you stand on, whether there's too much control or not enough, this helps, again, from a school level as well as an employer level, an organization um, but, but one of the things in, in parting here that, that, uh, Tracy, I'd love to have you kind of, kind of run and maybe end with a little bit and then have you guys kind of give your parting thoughts of anything that we didn't cover that you feel like we, that, that would be beneficial for the listeners. But something we we talked about Bruce earlier on, you, you talked about how the mask has become a symbol and it has become kind of this divisive thing, whether, you know, you wear it, you don't wear it, and it's it's uh I mean, we've seen on the news some of the issues that it that it has caused. And and kind of getting back to benefiting both sides of the line, Tracy, you had said that our, our personal liberties have become more of a priority, it seems like, than than public safety. And I really think that this that your solution, that your software really helps address that and kind of take the the heat off of that argument, so to say. And and take some of the you know some of the pressure that's being placed there, you know. And when I when I mention this personal safety, you know, versus or personal
1: preference for, for versus safety, um, the wow. idea behind it is really about at the end of the day we need to um, fix the economy. We're all suffering right now. Um, we-, we have a lot of um, you know we have a lot of businesses that are struggling. We have people unemployed. We have so many issues. And uh, we know that if we don't do something about it, it's just going to get worse from an economic perspective. And so um, I guess what my hope is, is that as people start thinking about the economy and the greater good of our population, that they will take into consideration that sometimes um, sometimes our personal liberties, um, we, we may have to just check a couple of them at the door while we work together to solve this problem so that we can bring the economy back into check. And, um, you know, on that note, you know, that's, that's really where I stand. I'm a full believer in data privacy. And so you'll note that everything that we're talking about here, you know, we are talking about it by, by really securing the privacy of individuals. And I think, you know, that, that is part of the, personal liberty that I'm talking about, um, and as long as everyone is understanding that we are going to protect their data, we're going to protect their privacy, They, they, we're hoping that they will have more confidence in the solution going forward.
0: I love that. Thank you. Bruce?
2: We're not asking people to trust us with their privacy. Rather than that, we're putting them in charge of it themselves, and in an immutably trackable way, they can see that they are in charge. Have you guys ever seen like on the Tour de France where one cyclist, they're all cruising, they're tired. One guy the, at the head of the line crashes and then everyone eats it on top of him. It's just <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that first cyclist is COVID. And then behind that is the political differences between all of us and our family members and neighbors. And then behind that was the economy. And behind that's the mental well-being of all of us. I'm seeing this in adults as well as children who are being sure. isolated socially, I think it's possible for us to protect people and the weakest of us while at the same time, intelligently open the economy wide open because we have death on one side and we have certain death on the other side. If we don't take care of the economy, that's why that's a, a big motivation behind this. Cause if not this solution, someone else come forward with something that accomplishes the same goal and will help you if we make a difference if we can evaporate some of this fear we're going to also see that people calm down in our communities we're also going to see a lot of hope in our kids who have lost that hope we're seeing we're seeing people make different choices based on that lack of hope and so this is something that i think let's all work together let's let's incorporate feedback if people have fears that need to be addressed let's address them if they want to play with the regulations or how this works so that I can pack a restaurant, but everyone has to have 30 days of clean check-ins. Then I'd do it. I would participate. I would, or have antibodies, whatever it is, whatever we're determining is safe. Let's let's lean into that and build a a unified protocol around it, like we're trying to do.
3: I I am grateful uh, for Tracy and Bruce and what they've said. I want to mostly thank. You guys at Hub, absolutely. As, as we've worked through this, this for me is, a, is an issue of leadership. I know uh, deeply because uh, we have created this product. I know what it's capable of. And as I've gone up and down the state and I've met with uh, government leaders, I've met with education leaders, I've met uh, on and on up the chain, all the way up and down the state of Utah, um, I, I have seen the political hotbed that, at, that is COVID, Uh, Everyone wants to stay safe at status quo, and status quo isn't getting the job done. What we've put forward is uh, to extend that status quo, to do something greater. And Hub International has done an amazing job of seeing what this is we're trying to accomplish and picking up the flag and marching with us to bring about this sort of change. Uh, To be just affiliated with Hub International, I'm very grateful.
0: Perfect. Again, thank you all for for joining us today. I appreciate the time and uh, good luck with everything and and hope to talk to talk to you all soon.
2: Thank you, Ben, and thanks for taking the time for doing this with us.
3: Thank you so much, everybody. Have a great day.
0: You bet. Thanks, guys. Hopefully, this conversation has been as fascinating for you as it has been for me to have this conversation with SafePass, to learn about the system that they've created to address what will probably be the biggest crisis facing businesses and schools for a very long time. So far, reopening and sticking to the status quo hasn't been enough to get us to a place of economic stability. There needs to be a much better solution, especially now as we head into winter, which for much of the country will make things even more difficult for already struggling businesses. I personally hope that SafePass is just the start and we begin to see more and more companies tackle the challenges of the pandemic. For detailed information or to get started with SafePass, visit www.mywayhealth.com SafePass. Again, that's www.mywayhealth.com slash SafePass. And as always, subscribe to the Better Employer podcast wherever you get your podcasts for more in-depth conversations about how to be an employer of choice.